Hey, hello. How are you doing? This is Chet Czar, and this is the Dark Art Society podcast. Welcome. Today we are interviewing Stephanie Inagaki, who is an amazing jeweler and sculptor and graphite artist, I guess you'd call her. She has really, really cool graphite work. Um, she's been in Conjoined. She's shown at Copro. I've known her for quite a long time just from seeing her at the shows, but I never really talked to her personally a whole lot. <clears throat> so it was really cool to interview her and ask her everything I was wondering about her. And she's got a really interesting story. It was a great interview. Um, it started off kind of, you know, just a regular, how'd you start drawing? But towards the end, as you will hear, it, it goes in some really interesting places and gets very impassioned. So it was really an excellent interview. So I'm uh, looking forward to you hearing it. And she's super cool. Great person. Great artist. My favorite kinds of people to have on the show. Cool people that are also great artists. Anyway, what's going on with me? It's Father's Day today. I'm recording this intro on Father's Day. I did the interview, I think, yeah, Friday. Today's Sunday. And so happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. Um, I got to watch it on the ums because I'm noticing I'm starting to, to slack on that. I'm saying um more often than I would like. So I have to be aware of that. Anyway... I almost just did it. Uh, uh, it's hard. Okay. I am almost done painting for my show, The Administrators, at Bain Art Gallery, which is opens July 8th, I believe. I've got six paintings finished, 13 paintings total, and the other seven are almost done and just kind of need one pass left so that is a huge relief so if i finish the paintings tonight if i'm lucky probably want to probably go into monday then i could spend the rest of next week painting all of the frames that are almost done being cast and then have one week for shipping packing and not have to pull a bunch of all-nighters right before the everything has to ship because that always sucks so things are going well. Things are going well. And then I'm really looking forward to getting back to the dystopia book because I'm just, I'm reinvigorated and re-inspired about it again. Just having so much new material now. And, and I've kind of lost sight of what a cool project it is because I've been so bummed about being three years late on it. So it's always, it, it's been, it's been like, oh, I got to get this project done. I got to get this project done. And, and I sort of lost sight of what a cool project is and, and why it's worth spending all this time and energy on. It's really, I'm getting to this point in my life. I'm 51 now and, it, and it's at this point I'm thinking, you know, you can kind of guess you can estimate how long you have left on the planet and and <laughs> when you get it when you get to be around 50 it's like 
the end is kind of in sight and you start have to or anyway i start thinking what am i going to do with the time i have left i mean it could be 20 years it could be less than that it could be 30 years i'm hoping for 30s 30 years i'm thinking like 80s would be okay with me but you know that's old and so i'm just thinking about what i want to be doing with my life in the next five ten years and i can't you can't just casually go oh i'm gonna do a book or something and then you know something that takes three years is kind of a bigger deal now at this age i'm feeling it because your time is limited when you're younger you don't really feel that but anyway, I was thinking about how cool this dystopia project is and how much new, new things will spring from that. So, you know, I think I really, it might not be, but I really think it's kind of going to be the big thing for me that gets me to the place I want to be, which is maybe making movies or comics or short films or whatever it just seems like the the next step for me and if not i'm totally happy painting and just playing it on my patreon i have to give a shout out for my patreon because that's another thing i've been thinking about i'm really not saying this to promote it but i'm never one to pass, pass up a good opportunity to promote it's patreon.com slash chetzar by the way but Lately, I've been posting the progress of these administrator paintings, doing some time lapses, doing some coming up with pro tips, posting progress pics every day. And I feel so satisfied with that platform. I really feel like I could be happy just doing the Patreon, I think, for the rest of my career. I just don't see... It's just, it's, it hits all, it pushes all the buttons for me. It hits, hits everything I need to hit. It's like, it's a reason to be creating work and there's the sharing aspect and there's no trolls. There's no assholes because the people that are there are people that are willing to pay like at least a dollar. So as much as a dollar sounds like very little, even the biggest asshole in the world isn't going to pay a dollar to go be a troll on someone's feed. So it, it, it's kind of the, the, the pay, paywall is kind of an asshole filter. So it's, you know, you're, you're creating content for your, your, your most dedicated fans. And it's amazing. And I, and it really, I really feel satisfied doing it. It's great. I love it. So I just had to say that because I'm stoked about it. Anyway, okay. What else is going on? Oh, I got the, the Ego Death pins. If anyone ordered an Ego Death pin for the pre-order, those will be shipping next week. They look really great. And the next round will be posted probably next week. As soon as those ones ship out, I'm going to post some more. Oh, there's a little teeny spider crawling up on my computer monitor it's very cute okay 
So yeah, I got the pins. What else is going on? That's it. Things are good. Things are great. So let's get on with new patrons. I believe there's only one new patron on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash darkartsociety. You could pay a dollar a month. It's just a dollar. You just hook it up to your PayPal or your credit card. And, you know, most people don't notice a dollar being gone a month. It's really cheap. And you can support this podcast. And you get to hear the podcast a day or two early. Anyway. Okay. I believe, I think the last patron I read off was Amelia Hofsteed. I don't know if I mentioned, but she is really, I was checking her workout. She's really, really good artist. Really amazing. So she should start a Patreon. You hear me, Amelia? You should start a Patreon. Your stuff is incredible. Um, okay. The new patron is Sean McKinney. Thank you, Sean, for your generous donation. Much appreciated. Oh, I know some great news. Josh G has started building the Dark Art Society website, and it is really cool. It's really, really cool. It's just the beginnings. He's kind of got the bare bones up. And he's using a a WordPress plugin, I guess. And it's it's like it's kind of like an old school message board, but like maybe I mean I haven't poked around with it that much, but it looks great. And it sort of seems like it's gonna be like an kind of an old school message board, but kind of like Facebook as well. So it's really gonna be our own little community in there. Very cool. I'm excited about that. I just got that today from him and started poking around on it. Um, actually, one of the five questions, which we can get into now, was... Uh, let me see. Oh, oh bah, bah, bah. Hold on, hold on. That was something about the website. Uh, never mind. I was going to kill two birds with one stone, but forget about it. Oh, uh, here's another good thing. Lori Lipton will be coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure you know Lori Lipton. She's an incredible, another incredible graphite artist. So I'm really excited about that. I've also got, I don't really want to mention who it is, but it will be probably the biggest and most famous person to be on the show yet i don't want to mention the name until it's locked in he told me he would do it on instagram he said sure so i just have to kind of pin him down it's not guillermo del toro i haven't asked him yet he's so busy but it's somebody that would be really really cool and i probably shouldn't have even brought it up but i'm kind of excited about it I'll let you know as soon as I as soon as we have it locked down. Okay, let's get on to the five questions and then you can get on with this interview. Tanya Tanya Pomales Pomales Pomales. Uh, another great artist, actually. What emerging artists should people be investing in right now? That's there's there's a I, I hate to answer this question because I'm going to I'm going to leave some people out. I know it. But 
I'm going to go back to my, my fallback that I'm always talking about, and that's Dos Diablos, because this stuff is still relatively affordable and amazing, and he's just starting out, so they're only going to go up in value. Uh, I'm just going to go with Dos Diablos for now. If I think of, I, there's, I know there's some others, I just I can't think of them right now. I should have thought about it. Maybe I'll try and think about, um, think about some and write them down and get to it next episode. But, you know, the artists you should be investing in are the artists you want to see succeed. You got to look at it like, you know, if you see an artist is doing amazing work and you, you can afford to buy it, when you buy it, you are, in a sense, helping that artist to move their career forward, and you're helping them to allow you're helping them to create new work. With if we if we didn't have people that bought our work, we wouldn't be creating work. So you you are enabling us to create work when you when you support us that way. So I always go with the support the artists that you think are amazing. And that's it. Don't really think of worry about anything else. Okay, let me see. That's one question down. Mm. Okay, Chris Hackard. How should we go about promoting the dark art society locally and with our art? Aside from the hashtag. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's this goes into the uh, website question too. What is the ETA on the website, and and can that be a vehicle for local promotion of the group? Yes. So the the website is coming. It's on its way. I'm not sure when it'll be ready. I don't want to release it until it's really ready and the bugs are worked out. But it's definitely happening. How should we go about promoting the dark art study locally, and with our art aside from the hashtag? Uh, you know, that's something. I'll need to figure out where <clears throat> we, we need to figure out that can be discussed in the dark art society cooperative. It's another, you, you, for now that is our kind of home base. If you join the Patreon, you get to go into the, the private dark art society cooperative Facebook group where all these ideas are discussed. And really what's happening is everything's being built from discussion, the discussion everyone's having around this. We're all throwing ideas out there and stuff. So that's a discussion we should have on the cooperative page, actually, Chris. But I, you know, word of mouth can't be underestimated. Word of mouth is really powerful. So I think just talking about it, posting about it on social media is great. Eventually, I'd like to have something, a, a way to purchase promotional materials for cheap from through the patreon as a reward maybe or something so that you can hand out cards i mean that's that's probably a good one for people who do conventions just to have a stack of dark art society cards to put on your table to promote the group mm. you could walk around your neighborhood carrying a big dark art society sign just kidding. 
Uh, okay, so let's get on to another one. Mm. Are you what you wanted to be 25 years ago? This is from Cedric Talon. Are you what you wanted to be 25 years ago? So that would, that would mean I was 24. No, I'm not. What I wanted to be when I was 24 was a rock star, I guess, or a musician, professional musician. Back then, I was really pushing my, trying to get this music thing started. And that didn't happen. And I am so glad it didn't happen. Because now that I'm older, I realize I am not suited to the rock star lifestyle. I'm not a partier. And I don't like to travel. And that's, and on top of that, it's really, really hard to make a living as a musician nowadays. My son's a musician. He's a drummer in a band. And, you know, it's tough. He pay, plays professionally, but it's not easy to make a living. But it's like being an artist, I suppose. Depends how you approach it, I guess. But, yeah, I'm not where I wanted to be 25 years ago, but I'm in a better spot than I didn't realize what I really wanted because once the band didn't happen, I turned to fine art and then I realized, oh, this is kind of, I can trace this desire back to way earlier than I got into music. I mean, I can trace it back to being maybe seven years old or six years old and wanting to be a fine artist. So sometimes things don't happen for you for a reason, I think, because I mean, I'm sure it all would have worked out if I was in a successful band, but I'm happy the way the way things are now for me. Okay, so that was three questions. Let's see. What was my backup? Chris Varga asked, what was your backup profession? I didn't have a backup profession when I was in makeup effects. There was nothing. That was it. Now, makeup effects is kind of my backup profession now. It's something that I was good at and I could do if I had to, but I don't want to because I did all, all of that that I would like to do. I did plenty of it. Uh, creature designer, I guess. I could be, it could be my backup prof profession. So, okay, one more. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, Steve Clef asks, Universal or Hammer? I'm sure he's talking about the Universal Horror Films or the Hammer Horror Films. Uh, if you don't know, Universal was the classic American horror movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, The Mummy. And then Hammer was the English horror films. Um, God, what are the titles of some of those? Curse of Dracula, Christopher Lee movies. Um, but you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to choose. I'm going to say Amicus. I'm an Amicus guy. Now, if you don't know Amicus films, Amicus was like the kind of low-budget, weird, weirder version of Hammer films. And some of them are really bad, but some of them are really cool. They're a little more down and dirty and kind of weirder. They used to do these anthology films. I think they did Tales from the Crypt. 
the original, which is great. The one from like 1970 or something. Uh, Asylum is a good one. Uh, they got a bunch of them. So I, I have to say, you know, between Universal and Hammer, I'm probably more Universal, but I prefer Amicus to both, actually. Okay, I think that was five questions. So, 20 minutes of me yammering on. That's it. Enjoy the interview with Steph Stephanie Inagaki, and thanks for listening. What's up, Stephanie? Hi, how's it going? It's good. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I was just going do. You, you, I was just telling you you're kind of my favorite kind of guest because I've known you for years, but mm -hmm. through the gallery scene. And, yeah. But I, you know, we don't really know each other personally. Really, I don't know a lot of personal stuff about you. So this is kind of, you know, there's not the awkwardness of not knowing the person. Right. But, you know, so it's like, it's easy. You're easy to talk to because I know you, but then, it, but I don't know a lot of stuff about you. So this is going to be fun. So, um, okay. Let's, let's start with just the basic question. When you started creating art, what's how, how far back does this go? Were you an art kid in school yeah, and all that stuff? I'm definitely an art kid. Um, my parents were always pretty supportive of like cultivating, um, the creative side of me and, and they still I, are they, they come they to shows are, they are they're super cute they yep. try to come to my shows they came to um monster palooza for the first time <laughs> cool because uh, my dad's always wanted to go um because i grew up watching like horror action movies like with my dad and my brother and my mom would like be in the, the other bedroom like because she doesn't like all that stuff so she's like <laughs> she's like i'll just walk around like this and just go to your booth because she's sometimes like that at copro as well oh but, really <laughs> yeah she's like i'll just do this and not look that way <laughs> they're really sweet they always bring their little dog too mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well that's yeah, cool you had supportive good. parents yeah, yeah. Um and you know, they they work their asses off and some sometimes even to this day my mom's like I feel bad that like I couldn't like we couldn't, you know, get you private art classes like all your friends got and like none of them are doing art. Yeah, exactly. I don't know any art artists I know working in the um <laughs> professional artists not I don't think any of them that I know off the top of my head took like private art classes or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And even I was talking about this with um, my longtime best friend from college. Um, like even people that go to art school, the percentage is so low. I know it's crazy. Cause we're, I think I'm pretty sure. I think there are about 60 of us in our graduating class and only her, myself, and maybe one or two other people are actually artists. Yeah. And then the percentage is slightly higher in grad school where people are still working artists. Right. But, um, yeah. So you, yeah, I heard it was like 1% or something. So yeah, that's what I heard too when I was in school. That's crazy. <laughs> it's how that, that just seems insane. Um, yeah, well that's, you, you, you know, it's such a hard, you're a full-time artist, you know, this it's, it's a hard living, you know, it's hard to make a living doing fine <laughs> art. It's really hard. <laughs> And so a lot of people, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that the schools are bad necessarily as much as 
it's just hard to keep up. And then people have to get regular jobs a lot of times to support themselves. And then they end up kind of letting that take over their life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause it's, it's so inconsistent and what we create is a luxury. Mm-hmm. And so, um, luxury not items. Everybody, yeah. Not, not everybody can afford that, especially when times are really hard. Yeah. So, Cause my, my friends and I are always like, we can never afford our own art. So that's why we end up trading with each other. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only reason I have an art collection is because I've been able to trade <laughs> with other artists. <laughs> right. <laughs> I bought a few, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a few people I've bought, but it's because they were like starting out and their stuff was so cheap. It's like, I couldn't afford not to, when people are selling stuff for like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, it's like, yeah. you know, kind of, yeah, it is ridiculous. So you where did you go to art school at? Um, I went to Boston university college of fine arts. Um, yeah. I had looked at, um, being from Southern California, I'd, only applied to SoCal or Southern California. I think I can't remember if I applied for anything up north. I think it's mostly SoCal. And um, my one of my dad's uh, clients, both their daughters went to BU, and they were talking about how great their fine art program was. And mm. so that was one school I looked at, and um, I got in everywhere. And I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to move to a completely different place to experience the East coast. And they also had an abroad program to Italy. Wow. So I was like, okay, that's set. I want to go somewhere where I don't know anybody. I think that's pretty one brave. of my other classmates went to Harvard, but I, and, but I saw her once mm-hmm. the first semester when we all went to Boston and then I never saw her. After that. <laughs> that's pretty gutsy moving, <laughs> moving, you know, moving to a new place where you don't know anybody and then going to Italy and, yeah, That's it was amazing it was because though. I didn't have to, because it was through school, I didn't have to worry about housing and, and all that stuff. And, um, I felt like it was the best time to, to do that too. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You have a master, a master's degree, right? Yeah. From the San Francisco Art Institute. That's crazy. Okay. So you went to, um, uh, uh, what was it? Boston. Boston University. Boston University, and then you, and then after that, what you? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, bachelor's degrees from. I don't know anything. I'm completely uneducated. So you got your. Uh, what did you get? Your bachelor's degree in uh, Boston. Was, um. So I have a bachelor's in fine arts, uh, in sculpt. Actually, both my degrees are specifically in sculpture because that's wow. what I majored in. Oh wow. But then once I, so the reason why I, I chose. Boston University was because they have um, they have one of the longest foundation programs left. I don't know about now, but our foundation was two and a half years, and normally art school is only at a semester or a year at most. Oh, really? You decide what your major is, mm. but um, at BU, everybody had to take drawing, uh, painting, sculpture, and art history for two and a half years, and wow. then they decided what they wanted to do. Um, and so it was very. Um, it's a pretty conservative school, so it was very academic. That's um, good, though. Like my sculpture professor, um, he's from Georgia, and he was showing us what his students were doing, and it looks like classical like work, and where students would just spend a whole semester drawing hands. Like it right. was, That's... he came from a very hardcore type of education, and so it was nice to have that academic um, professor there. Yeah, that that's a um, 
That's what I would want. I mean, that's that's the opposite of some stories I hear of people who went to art college and it was just like, you know, all focused on conceptual art and, and nothing on um, technique or anything. Yeah, no, and then that's why I decided to go to SFAI for grad school because they're known, they're like best known for their new media and like concept um, and being like one of the oldest art schools on the West Coast. Mm. And so... Um, so I knew that's why I wanted to go there for grad school because I'm like, okay, I have my foundation um, and my I have like my skills at a pretty good spot, but then I want to develop my concept more because the downside of BU was like, because it was so academic, you barely even touched the conceptual aspect of it. Um, so. Yeah, I guess having both would be key, mm-hmm. you know. Did um, you enjoy, was it a good experience, school? Um, yeah, it was overall, it was, it was really, really good. Um, met friends I will have for the rest of my life. Mm. I think, I think the good, the benefit of it is, is you develop, um, a pretty thick skin to criticism. Right. That's another thing I hear from people who went to art school. Yeah. (laughs) It's because you have to do critiques, student critiques or whatever. Yeah. Whether critiques or, um, at least both schools I went to, they pushed us to apply to grants, shows consistently. So in grad school, I was applying to th- at least three to five things a month wow. and like a stack of projection letters. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it seems like it would be so... I've never tried to write a grant or anything like that because it seems... Like it's impossible to, yeah, to get one. And it's a it's a completely different uh, language that you have to write in. Uh, and um, I I hadn't written a grant proposal in a in years and um, just for a lark, I'm like, okay, I need to I felt like doing something new, so I, I tried out for one last year, but I mean, I was, I looked at the roster and I'm up against people. It it was, it was more for like, like high, high art. And so uh, the roster people that I'm competing against, like they've already had, you know, three or four grants from big places. And so, but they, but they do say like, you need to, if you really want to try, like you need to be rejected by them like two or three times for that and then that way you're developing your writing and um you're able to see like research who you're competing with and then like you know how they're getting their proposals um through and so it's it's a that's like another like part-time job if you want to consistently do that because i have friends from grad school who are consistently going to residencies and applying to grants because that's a different way of keeping your art process going. Right. Like, that way, as opposed to us, where we're going more commercial with what we're doing. Right. Right. Yeah, right. that it does seem like a, a whole other job that would be terrible. <laughs> Filling and up I'm forms. A writer. So. <laughs> and you got to probably do all that kind of art speaky stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yuck. I was a lot better at it at a grad. <laughs> but you know i was looking at at your work um there's a lot of work on your website i was i I hadn't seen a lot of it it's really really amazing excellent 
excellent work. And um, one of the things I really like about your work is that, you know, I'm kind of selfishly, I I selfishly view things through the lens of the the dark art community, like what's best for the dark art community, because I'm always all about pushing that. And one of the things I really like about your work is that you, you could exist in the blue chip art world, but you're also dark art, in my opinion. So it's cool because you've got like a really good balance of technique and, um, you know, technical proficiency, but you also, it's definitely fine art. You know, it's definitely got that kind of weird fine art edge to it and like kind of high arty edge to it. Um, so it's, it's cool to have you in the community because you're, you know, you, you know, you elevate us a little bit, I think. Cause I don't see my stuff really <laughs> showing in that, in that realm. I feel like I'm, I've always been in some weird straddling of like two different worlds, mm-hmm. like pretty much my whole life. Mm. Um, Cause I've always, I've always been drawn to a lot of, like painters and sculptors that that are more like mid lowbrow, but then I have this background in highbrow art. Right. So, um, but you know what? There's like there's bullshit in both worlds. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. <laughs> my, my best friend uh, from college, um, she went to Columbia for her MFA eventually, mm. and so she's part of like all the grant writing and residencies and in the, the highbrow world. And, you know, I hear the bullshit on that end too. Right. <laughs> I think the more money's involved, the more, the more bullshit's involved really. I think because yeah. money just kind of s- tends to screw things up. Um, I know that when work, working in the film industry, usually the bigger budget films were, were way more like, kind of a nightmare because you had more people invested and more people worried about losing their jobs if the movie yeah. didn't make money. And, you know, I, I imagine in the blue chip world, it's the same, you know, the more higher end it goes, the more kind of bullshit yeah. <laughs> it could be. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that, if, if, if our stuff will ever, it, it, it might, it might get in the high end gallery world eventually someday. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, because because you do have. I feel like there there's always been like a macabre aspect to any any like generation of mm. artwork. Um, yeah. But then and then you also see people like I feel like um, like Murakami is like one of the best examples of of integrating pop culture with fine art. Right. And and some of his stuff is is pretty macabre, even though it's like rainbows and psychedelic colors. That's like when true. You pieces. There's a lot of he paints a lot of skulls, and yeah. there's a lot of um, like or- more- organs and stuff too, right? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I never thought of it like that. I think it's possible. Um, and then you always have you always have like movements of goth subculture getting into target and you right. know <laughs> and more mainstream like i mean hot topic did that with yeah. like my generation yeah. so 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, there's a lot of things I never thought I'd love to see, like weed legalization and mushroom <laughs> legalization. and a Right, yeah, the mushroom stuff just happened. I saw it's that. It's crazy. It's great, but it's just, I, I never, uh, you know, I never expected it. So, you know, as much as things are kind of fucked up right now, there are also there's a lot of positive things happening at the same there time. Are. There are, for sure. It's weird. It's like everything's getting better and worse at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Okay. Um, what did, he, your parents are, are from Japan? Yes. Uh, so my dad's from Tokyo and my mom's from Yokohama. Um, okay. But they met out here. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you you uh, grew up in, in Southern yeah. California? Born and raised. <laughs> what, what part of Southern California were you? Uh, Ventura County. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I usually just say LA because nobody knows yeah. where county is or i say it's like the halfway point between la and santa barbara yeah i i know um ventura because i my wife and i used to go to ojai all the time oh nice yeah ojai is really cool and then yeah. just a it's little really- like further north i think is ventura and we used to go to there was like a diner there busy bee diner or something we used to go and have breakfast there it's oh like a 50s yeah. kind of diner Main <laughs> Street used to be so good. It's that's like all gentrified too, because the Ventura Theater's there, so I, that's where I would see like the bi- bigger bands. Oh, come. really? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So you okay? So uh, you, you once you graduated from uh, San Francisco Art Institute, then then what happened? Um, Did you so, move back to LA? Um, yeah, I moved back to um, Ventura County because oh, okay. um, I always. Wait, I always knew I was going to come back to. Are you in Ventura now? You, do you live up there now? Um, I am in Cameron right now, but I'm I'm moving back to LA. Oh, okay, okay. I, I always thought you were down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's um I've my temporary move was slightly longer than I thought it was going to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. So oh, no, that's okay. Um, so I always knew I was going to move back. Um, to Southern California, regardless of where I went to school, because my um, my fiance at the time um, had a home in Camarillo, and oh, okay. so. Um, but shortly after I came, like right after I graduated, um, he suddenly passed away. Oh my god! And like everything just kind of stopped. <laughs> wow, I bet. Yeah. So. Um, I was right after, uh, before I graduated from grad school, I started working for my friend's company called Rocket World, mm-hmm. which is a sister company, which was a sister company of Tad Gear. And um, so my friend Patrick Ma hired me as his creative director to basically like revamp Rocket World back up on its feet because it's just kind of a side project for him. But well, what kind of business is it? Um, so Rocket World um, is a vinyl toy company. Oh. Um, Patrick was like one of the very first uh, designer vinyl toy makers in the industry. Huh. And um, I was helping um, get the products in from like designed and finished uh, from China and then getting it shipped to Comic-Con. So I did Comic-Con twice and mm. I, like managed our booths and I designed the products and um wow what what year is this where you working there um 2009 to 2010 oh okay okay yeah yeah it was 
it was a really, really great experience. I um, bet. But unfortunately, um, they, because basically Tad Gear, which is, I like to say, is like designer, like tactical paramilitary gear. Uh-huh. <laughs> Based in SF. And so my friend Patrick Ma like built the company from scratch. And, um, and then he hired on more people because the company was getting bigger. And unfortunately, they're like, Rocket World's not making enough money, even though you sold 30 grand worth of product the first right. day. Wow. Wow. Which was my salary at the time. Wow. But they still were like, yeah, we're going to, we want to like focus more of the money into the main part of the company. So they dissolved my part of the company. Um, So I still kept working. um, So I was like halfway between, uh, like after my fiance passed away. Mm. And so, I didn't do art for about two years Mm. um, because even from like the beginning of going to starting art school, a lot of the work has been always really, really personal. So Mm. right before I went to college, um, my brother passed away from leukemia. Oh my God. I'm sorry. And so, (laughs) so like all my, a lot of my work has always been just, visually processing all the experiences uh, that I've gone through. Right. And so like once James passed away um, and he was my, he was my first partner too. Mm. Oh my God. Wow. For 10 years. So pretty much just, I, I've become who I am as an adult, like because of him. Right. His positive influence. And he was super, super supportive. Um, he, He was extremely creative was like a jack of all trades mm. and um but he was always so afraid to make art oh wow um he would start things and then never finish them he's Do, also a musician he's a drummer like because of the, what the rejection factor or the personal putting yourself out there personally or um because i know I a lot of artists that are kind of like afraid to be vulnerable in public because you know you're kind of bearing your soul to mm-hmm. people and then if you get rejected it's kind of painful <laughs> he's also a a huge perfectionist oh, okay and so um i think that hindered him too but he was able to like fulfill that creative desire through like helping and supporting me mm. and like and he was he was a lot older than me mm. so <clears throat> he was just like do whatever you need to do. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to school. I've always wanted to go to art school and that's great. Uh, become an artist. And he was, he was always very supportive of that. He never, um, I'm kind of surprised, like thinking about it retrospectively, like he never, he never was judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never, he, he was, he was constructively critical, but oh. he was, never, um, he never shot any of my ideas down that mm-hmm. would offer other advice as to what I was doing conceptually or, um, or just even like skill wise, he'd be like, Oh, you can use these tools to right. do this instead. And, um, he was supportive. I mean, it sounds like he just was very supportive he was. of what you're doing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, so is, yeah. 
is the work on your I'm sorry, is the work on your uh, website? Is that all after these deaths in your life or is some of that from from before those periods? Because Mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be kind of a, you know, a lot of I see a lot of kind of death in, in the work. Mm-hmm. You know, with the crows and the black and, you know, I don't know. That's how I interpret it. Yeah, the all the sculptures on there are from grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the drawings, the, fir- the first few um, black and white ones, those are from grad school, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, I started... Because of how my education was, like I was talking about earlier, I didn't really get to make my own work until the last year of college because um, I went to, I did the study abroad program to Venice in wow. uh, a year. So that was a semester. Um, so I didn't really get to explore any of my concepts until like the last year and a half of college. Mm-hmm. At that point, I was. Um, just working through um, my brother's death, right? And um, and the reason why I I was making um, like spine related like vertebrae sculptures, like the the piece at Copro mm-hmm. that I have, huge six yeah. foot spine. So that was inspired by. Um, I just remember my brother having to go get treatments, and he had a routine spinal tap, but. The children's hospital in LA was so crowded that he got the anesthesia, but it took forever for the nurses to come to do uh. this. By the time they came and injected him, it all the anesthesia had worn off. Oh my god, that's terrible! So, like, that was initially like inspired by that, and like working with the spine. And yeah, and- you know, it's funny because when I saw that sculpture, I was like, I wonder if Stephanie has some kind of like spinal problem or something i just got that feeling from it that it was like because it's so cool it's a six foot tall spine like it's really amazing and it's got little like drawers in it yeah so if you if you look inside the drawers i've lined all the interior with my brother's medical papers oh my god that's amazing yeah wow yeah that's what i'm talking about the 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 conceptual to where that's your that's one of one foot in the conceptual world which is you know so important i think to to elevating this art form the the darker stuff you know yeah i know for sure and like i like with with my um drawings i always uh regardless of like what it's for if it's like a group show or or some other project i'm working on i always try to have some kind of conceptual background to the mm-hmm. drawings like um my everyday original pieces because they're smaller um not always but thematically um i try to keep it consistent with oh yeah you, you're i do yeah that's another great thing about your work is it's very like it's you it's consistent mm-hmm. you know you can it's just like very identifiable and and you have a a really unique look that follows throughout on all the stuff i was looking at you know, yeah, it's great, and I like that you use uh, paper stumps. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I I to... like a pile here. No, a lot of no, <laughs> a lot of people don't use those that graph uh, uh, graphite artists. But my, I remember when I was when I was a kid, my dad taught me about them. He used to call them rubbing stumps. 
And he, <laughs> he, he had a bunch of them and he showed me how to use them. And as soon as he showed me, it's like I, everything I drew, I would use a, a stump to blend things. It's really yeah, great tool. Great, Cause then you can, you can like pick up, um, from either like a solid charcoal, um, stick or even from like shavings and just pick that up and right. then like different tones on it. Yeah. Um, everybody in drawing class hated drawing crumpled paper, but I was like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We definitely had, we had like a semester of drawing, cr- drawing and painting crumpled paper. <laughs> right. That's hard to do that and fabric. That's mm-hmm. another thing that was great. Man, some of those pieces I'd never seen. The people with the uh, the transparent like shrouds. Oh, my gosh. Holy yes. shit. That looked like it was so hard to do. It looked so good. Like black sheer. I'm trying to do that right now on a smaller piece, and it's so much harder. <laughs> it seems really difficult. A, uh, an auction piece for Everyday Original that's going to go up next month. Oh, cool. And, um. Conceptually, I want to do the same thing with three figures, and I, I'm I'm working on it right now, and it's just it's <laughs> a lot harder to get those like tiny details. Yeah, because those three drawings are about um, twenty by forty ish. Oh, okay. So it's a lot bigger, and it's easier to get those details. And, right. Um, but that's yeah, that's a personal um, project I've been working on. I I have an idea for the fourth drawing, but I just haven't had time to <laughs> right to work on it yet so hopefully hopefully next year (laughs) yeah i know tell me about it (laughs) story (laughs) of my life um you use uh your you 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 do a lot of self-portraiture i do yeah so what what's what's up with that that's that's interesting um i think it it probably stemmed from um like in college when we had assignments it was easiest to use ourselves or <laughs> to like Nicole's and a bunch of my drawings and I'm in her paintings. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then, and then I took that further instead of just um, simply convenience uh, when I was in grad school and trying to figure out what I wanted to work on. Um, I was like, Oh, I'll work on paper because Sculpture takes up so much space. Right. And, and it takes longer. <laughs> I'm like, it's more expensive. Yeah. No, because then I started drawing life size. Oh, that's true. What I was doing. <laughs> and then it still ended up costing like the same or more. Wow. Framing and. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But in. Um, <clears throat> so conceptually what I was working on in, in grad school was. um like working with the female body and the figure and, and how that relates to art history Mm -hmm. and how male bodies and male nudity was being, has been portrayed in fine art. Mm -hmm. So I was, um, I think I have some of those earlier pieces up where I was basically reinserting myself in, um, really famous paintings like Jared Holt's Ralph of the Medusa mm-hmm. and I like two different views of that but then also incorporating my hair as like the waves right. like body and um like my hair has always been an identifier for me I've always had long hair mm-hmm. regardless of like what iterations happening right. <laughs> um that's where we get our power it's where we keep our power exactly exactly <laughs> 
because when you look at it historically um, <clears throat> in other cultures, like men used to have really long hair and it was a sign of, of power and strength oh, and, wow. and who you are. And um, I mean, that's why uh, in uh, with with Jewish religion, people still wear the yarmulke and, and with like more Middle Eastern religions as well. It's like cover your hair and your hat. Right, right. Um, so just trying to like work through those ideas and that's why I was doing self-portraiture. And then, um, and then once James passed away and I started drawing again, um, I think because I was already doing self-portraiture, I, that was like the easiest way back in to start drawing. Right, right. Um, well, okay. I, I want to. I do want to get more into this. This is the stuff that interests me, actually, the most. But before we get into concept and about your art, I just kind of want to get a little get get through your your story and how you how you became an independent artist making a living. Because I know so many people that listen to this podcast; it's their dream. So, yeah. <laughs> so okay, you're working for the 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 toy company, which turned that which dropped you, and then you're working for or that dropped that part of the company and then you're working for this tactical military <laughs> military gear company um so how, okay from from there so so then i want to find out how you got to where you are today basically okay um <laughs> so then um because i knew i was gonna get laid off um i'm like okay i gotta i gotta make a living and i was working part-time uh, I've worked part-time for my friend, Jim, who owns a uh, museum quality framing. Oh, yeah, um, I saw that. I saw the video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, on your Patreon. Yes. Which we, uh, we, so we will met, promote your Patreon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I met Jim through uh, my late fiance, James, because they were best friends. Mm. And that's how I got the job in high school working for Jim. And that's, I get, I still get all my printing and framing done from him. He's got like a ton of, large format printers i know it looks amazing he just told me he's getting a 3d scanner wow so just as a side note now uh as an artist um it hasn't the the technology hasn't been developed here but what you can do with this large format printer or the scanner is you can scan a painting that has a lot of texture in it and then that texture can get printed onto the canvas. Oh my God, that's crazy. So there's a company in Germany that's starting to do that printing process. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and I was like, Jim, can I bring my jewelry in and scan that? He's like, yeah, you can. I was like, oh. Excellent. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff I want to modify with my jewelry, but I'm just like, oh my God, I don't want to have to re-sculpt right. it. <laughs> that's um, awesome. So yeah, so then I was working part-time for Jim. I think that's the last time I worked part-time for him. And then I started my Kickstarter um, when Kickstarter first came out. Mm. It's like what, like 2010-ish? Yeah, I think so. when I started. And I, I think I had my Kickstarter like 2011 or 12 to jumpstart my jewelry business. Mm. And because um, I was, when I was in grad school, I was apprenticed with uh, Dina, who is the owner of um, Octopus Me Jewelry. And it's mm. these... I don't know if you can see. I always wear these tentacle earrings. Don't move. I'm going to take a picture of it. Okay. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. How do you do it? Command. Wait a minute. Don't move. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot what the shortcut is. I think I got it. Okay. All right. 
So wait, wait, no, no, go back, go back, go, go back one more time. Okay, that'll be perfect. Uh, okay, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, the so I, <laughs> I apprenticed with her for about a year because I had my um, my engagement ring made from her. And when I went to go visit her to make sure the fitting was right and everything, she was like, oh, man, like business is booming. I can't do all this myself. I'm like, let me work for you. For free. <laughs> she's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, Dina, Dina, I just kept bugging her. And she's like, OK, fine. So I'd go to her studio and apprentice with her. I, I did that for a full year like my last year of, of grad school. Mm. And then uh, she encouraged me to make my own business. And that's also how I got my, the job at rocket world because um, Patrick wanted to make a fine art, like a, a, a fine jewelry line for mm. his toy company. Mm. And um, that's how I got my foot in the door. Mm. But, um, yeah, so your your jewelry is amazing too. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome. Um, I did my Kickstarter to buy my jewelry bench and the wax injector and my uh, small torch just so I can get do some of the like casting and like sculpting process at home. Um, Are you doing the 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 uh, um, lost wax like yeah so centrifuge I, with the with silver and stuff? Are you doing that part of it as well? I wish I I know how to yeah. Um, Dina taught me. Dina had everything in her studio. Yeah, her yeah. My, I had a friend who whose father owned a jewelry store, so I I, I watched the whole process. It's so fun! Yeah. I still I still geek out when I <laughs> when you have the crucible like right before it goes. You you loosen the pen for the centrifuge and yeah. the metal with the, with a full torch, and it starts getting all squishy. It's and so then cool. It, it liquefies. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool <laughs> um so yeah so then i started that and then um i was also looking for like more jobs so i can move to la and um there was a an artist call in the job section in craigslist wow <laughs> It, and she was specifically looking for darker art. Mm. And I was like, oh, That's I'm like, me. I looked up the gallery and the work looked great that this new gallery had in Culver City. And um, the gallery is called Scotia Gallery. It's unfortunately not there anymore. Mm. Um, but she was like, this is great. Like, I want to sell your work. And I brought my drawings with me. Because uh, I just started drawing again by then, and um, she sold three of my drawings for twenty thousand dollars. Whoa, amazing! Um, which I knew at the time. I was like, "Shit, this is really." I I personally feel like it was really inflated, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it, if they're if if you're getting that much for it, yeah, yeah, which was which was amazing and i really really appreciate that jump start mm -hmm. and so i was able to use that money to pay rent for a full year wow amazing. um i got this awesome little guest house in highland park and um but i i still like went through waves and i still ended up having to like do odd jobs here and there and um i was at one point, um, assisting my friend, Jason Shaw Alexander. Oh um, yeah. I know Jason. Yeah. Yeah. So I was helping him like here and there. And then, um, 
And then it got really bad. So then I had to like get a part-time job and I worked at the stock room for like six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, by then, um, Century Guild was in, they mo- moved and they were in LA and Culver City, actually next to where Scotia was mm. um, on Washington. Um, and then Tom offered me uh, a solo show. He was like, you need to stop working at Stockroom. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Part-time. <laughs> I will help you. <laughs> That's cool. Um, what year was this? Where you had uh, your- so my solo was in 2014. Okay. Um, it's fairly recent. I mean, I, 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 th- I thought you were, you'd been showing longer just because you have so much work. <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, you, you're prolific. <laughs> and jewelry on top of it it's kind of crazy you you work hard you must work very hard i do it's it's more than i mean it's basically two two jobs yep um and then on top of it like as much as we have to promote ourselves like that's that's another i know full-time job i know <laughs> <laughs> like yes i know okay yeah. so you got your solo show yeah. And and then you just it grew from there, your your final yeah. career and, and Yeah, that. pretty much. And then um <clears throat> I have a couple stores I sell my jewelry through. Oh, that's um, nice. Paxton Gate in Portland was the first store that picked me up. Mm-hmm. Um which is really great and they're awesome. Um I finally get to meet them because <laughs> I haven't been to Portland. <laughs> um but I'm going um uh Oh my god! In in a week. Oh wow! <laughs> so I have a two person show at Talon Gallery. Oh cool. Morgan Fay, um, at the end of June. So I'm finally going to Portland, and I'll meet Andy at Paxton Gate. Excellent. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I I I uh I know a guy who's <clears throat> a jeweler, and he was he's always complaining about how hard it is to make a living doing his own jewelry. Um, how are you able to make it work? I mean, how much of your income is, is it equal between your fine art and your jewelry? Or is it like one more than the other? Um, it, it started off with jewelry was more, mm-hmm. uh, more of my income just because it is easier to sell smaller pieces, yeah. cost less. Whereas with artwork, um, the amount of time, um, it takes to make me draw something and how much I can sell it for. It does make more money. Right. Um, but I think it's finally, it's finally catching up where it's, it's pretty equal. Oh, good. Um, so how are you able to make the jewelry thing work? Um, I did, I did start doing a bunch of, um, conventions and trying to figure out like which one works best for me. Right. And then, um, getting more stores to pick me up. Um, and just, I think I was just doing online promoting too. Mm. Are you doing um, a lot of wholesale to other places or? Um, yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly wholesale. Oh, okay. Uh, but I do have a few stores that are consignment, mm. uh, which, which I don't, I don't mind. Um, at this point, it, I did start with mostly consignment first. Yeah. That's what they usually want. Yeah. It is. I feel like it's more rare when stores are wholesale. Yeah. 
Definitely. What, what's so, the name of your jewelry company? I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Uh, Miu Decay. What? what? Miu Decay. <laughs> oh, Miu Decay. Okay. Miu yeah. Decay. Okay. Miu. That's I wasn't sure how to pronounce Miu. What is that? What does Miu mean? Um, it's totally <laughs> geeky. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's even I was better. I figure out what to name my company. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like sculpting a bunch of skulls, like bat skulls and darker stuff. So. Um, I think at the time I had just watched, uh, I think the anime was called like Miyu, like Vampire Hunter or something, <laughs> Japanese anime. I'm like, I like the character. <laughs> oh, cool. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? I wanted to, bef- I, 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 sorry to interrupt, but I, I want to say this before I forget. Um, you mentioned you're into horror movies when you were growing up and stuff. And one of the movies you mentioned watching was The Craft. Yes. I worked on that movie. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not, I don't really remember what I did, <laughs> but uh, I'd have to see it again because it was so long ago, but I just thought oh, that was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my best friend and I at the time, I'm, I'm still friends with Courtney, but we, um, yeah, camera was boring as hell. So we would just watch, like stay up late watching movies and yeah. have sleepovers and, scare ourselves i remember i still remember when we watched the shining when we we're in elementary school <laughs> and like it, the living room is all dark we have like our cover like our like blankets over us like oh my god it's so much fun it's but so then we much make fun. home movies too oh uh, wow which i think she still has <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put those on your patreon like, like mini tapes right we, we recreated um oh we made speed two before speed two came out <laughs> I worked on Speed, too. I worked on... I was just talking to my friend, Jim Beinke. We worked on that movie together, yeah. <laughs> the first one. You got you to gotta find you gotta find those videos and put them on your Patreon. That would be awesome. I'll see. Because yeah, it would have to be converted. Oh, um, right. Yeah. But you got to get that stuff converted anyway. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll, you'll never be able to watch them. We made... Yeah, we made a ton of home videos. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay so anyway back to the career so you basically just you've just built your career by doing all the hard work mm-hmm. doing the jewelry uh pushing that business and also just getting in a, a lot any shows you could yeah you know? yeah pretty much um, um i mean i i did what i feel like everybody else does and just cold submitting portfolios to wherever i could and also i think what's important is just showing up to openings and showing right. face because I've, I've gone into shows because I just happened to be in that conversation totally. where the curator was like, Oh, Hey, like yep. girl, be great for this. Like yep. I just didn't just to be, just to be present. Um, I, cause that's, that's work for us too, to have to, if we want to keep our careers going to show up and to be there, like my, I look up to her so much. Like Olivia is, Oh, she yeah. goes way more openings and shows up to way more things than I do. I know it's amazing, crazy, and um, and she's always present. But and she's you know she's like a rock star in the art world. But yep. she still shows up. She's I know about everything. Yeah, tri- her ass off. Yeah, yeah, it trips me out that um, I just was blown away that she shows it. You know, she goes to Copro shows and she shows there, and she's. You know, she's so cool. I, I mentioned this on one of the podcasts where 
I was complaining about being tired or something. And I was, you know, saying the whole, yeah, one day I'll be able to, you know, slow down and not work as hard. I'll have some more money. And she's like, it never ends. <laughs> like blew the, blew the illusion for me. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen Bill Sienkiewicz in a long time, but he hustles too. Yeah. Like, I mean, all the successful artists I know are hustling hard all the time. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's part of the job and showing up to, to sh openings is huge. I, I always tell um, people, I recommend that highly networking basically, because you get, you know, you can get, like you said, you can get shows just by being stand, being at the right place at the right time. It's very, it's such a small community and it's very word of mouth. And, you know, I, I've, I'm, I can't think of anyone offhand, but I'm sure that I've put someone in a, sh at a show I've curated just because they were cool and their work yeah. was cool. And I just knew them because they'd always, I'd always see them at shows, you know, it's like, it's a big part of it. It is. It is. Yeah. And just, and especially in this day and age where there's so much content online, mm -hmm. that's, it makes it even more important to be there in person and present because talking to somebody in person is so different than just, you know, interacting. It right. is important to interact with people online and, and to like, if, and if you have the capacity to, to interact with people that comment on your page and your posts, um, but it's a wholly different experience, like having a one-on-one -on -one or just even like a group conversation with somebody. And then when you consistently keep seeing them, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is very word of mouth. Um, and it can be very nepotistic in that way. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But then you forget like people exist because you're, if you're only, if you're surrounded by these people that you consistently see at openings and like, that's who you're thinking of. Yeah. If you're a show. Right. Or if, or if you hear of someone who's curating a show or, you know, it's, there's a million ways you can get in shows really, you know, and they so all have, it doesn't hurt to ask either. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Basically. It's just, you know, nobody wants to do that stuff, but it's what you got to do if you're going to make a living at it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a fine balance of don't be too pushy, right. but also, but also it's important to um, be pushy. <laughs> yeah, present your work as yeah, well. Yeah, like, like especially for me, I I always wear my jewelry, and if somebody compliments me, if somebody compliments me, I'll be like, oh, here's my card. Oh yeah, I won't cool. be like, I won't just be like, here's my business card. Yeah. Buy all my shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if they show interest, I always have a business card. Yeah, on that's me. that's just and, smart, smart yeah. business, you know. Yeah. Or if they're, they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, here's my card. This mm -hmm. is what I do. So in that way, like, I will be vocal about myself and, and my creations. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't really thought about it, but you, you're talking about um, just, you know, you know people, we're, we're just talking about people hustling, like successful artists we know are people that are hustling all the time, but they... Another aspect of it is as well is is getting a, a a grip on this whole business angle and and getting over that issue of business being this bad thing, you know. It's like so many people will not give the card out because they feel like they're being cheesy or something, or or it's not, you know. It's I'm all about the art, you know. It's the business is beneath me or whatever. But it's like 
No. I want money. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's not how it works. You have to embrace that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to embrace the whole business aspect of it. Yeah. And be willing to be your own, you know, advocate mm-hmm. for your work. You know, you have to look at like you are you're you're rep- you're a representative. You have to look at it like <clears throat> you as an artist is almost like a separate person and you as as a representative is is a separate person re- representing yourself in a way, you know. So you have to be able to talk about it and not be embarrassed about it or shy about mm-hmm. talking about it basically, yeah. you know. Be willing I to hand the cards out. Like that <laughs> What's that? I still sometimes get like that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, and that well, that's the thing you were saying that uh, people uh, have to be careful about being too pushy. I don't think I think most of us don't have that problem. I think most of most artists I know have the other problem to where they don't want to be pushy enough. Yeah, you know, because we're generally introverts and um, shy and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody, I, it's, yeah, it's, there's always that moment. You're like, not sure if you should give the card or not, you know, is this the, was this a good time? But I (laughs) always, I always try to err on the side of the pushy side because I'm like, you know, if I, 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 I'll feel worse if I didn't do anything, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll take that chance. Yeah. Cause at the most, what are they going to do? They're just going to like forget about you and throw your business card away. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you don't really have anything to lose. <laughs> Although I, I always feel sad when I see people's business cards on the floor at conventions. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like... I hope I don't see mine on the floor. <laughs> it's like fishing, though, or it's the same way with social media. Like, you're, you're casting your net out <clears throat> and you're hoping for just a few people to to catch a few people out of that. Like you'll gather thousands of people on social media and then you're, you're hoping to funnel a small handful of them over to your Patreon or to buy okay. stuff from you because they're not all going to buy from you. And it's the same with handing out cards. It's like 90% of them are going to be tossed in the garbage, yeah. but you know, you're going for that 10% that's going to look at it and go, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's how you make sales. Yeah. So do you, uh, are you still doing the convention circuit? <clears throat> yes. Um, I had stopped for a little bit. Um, yeah, so I was trying can't... to just feel my way out to see where I should be vending at. And mm. for the most part, goths don't have money. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing more conventions like or- like oriented towards that. I'm like, I'm not making any money. And oh, wow. the smaller stuff I have, they're still telling me it's expensive, even though it's handmade right. and it's like $20, $25 each. Okay. So then I kind of stopped. Um, and then like reoriented myself to figure out, to try out new, new ones. And then I think the, the first big one was Monster Palooza. Okay. And um uh, you do well there? I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the best convention, I think. Mhm. One of uh, my favorites, probably my favorite. Yeah, and it's it's like a friend reunion too. So I it's, know. it's really fun. Yeah. Um, and everybody's super nice. Yeah. So um so yeah, it's uh, Monster Palooza and then I've I just started doing Son of last year and I'm, I'll be doing it again in September. Cool. Um, and then what else do I, um, oddities 
Yeah, how did that do? Amazing. I know. I want to do that. Really, really amazing. I want to do it. I want to do it. Did you apply? No. (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm planning on it. It'll probably be next time because I've, I have to get through this year. I get so much of my plate already. I can't even think about. I can't even think about doing another show convention. But um, I think I even talked to them personally about it. Like they wanted me to come, maybe. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's. I think I don't. I'm pretty sure I. Is it Ryan? I think so. I'm just my. It's Ryan and Regina. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've met them. Um, They're really cool. They were. um, He was in. Yeah, in conjoined. Yeah, he was in conjoined, and um, I think we kind of talked about it. I just haven't been able to get it together, but I really want to do that show, and I will eventually do that show because I heard it was amazing. Yeah, it's really great because it's it's super highly curated, mm. and um, like talk about you know goth conventions. I mean, this is they do such a good job in curating. Um, the selection of artists that show and oh, it's really? specifically a shopping event. Right. And um, I got so many more people just locally to see my work and mm. to buy my work and see who I am that it's it's totally worth it. Okay. <laughs> it's like is it it's like is it a one day thing or is it a weekend uh, thing or so last year it started as one day because they weren't sure. Right. Yeah, and then that, it was, and then it went crazy, right? It's, it was the biggest one they've done. Wow! At that point, yeah, and I had no idea. I think people were saying the line was like three hours to get in last year. Wow! Um, so this year when they did uh, it um, last month, they did two days, and so it's going to be two days again in October, um, the first weekend of October. Wow! Yeah. Damn! I should have applied. So now it's the best convention for me. <laughs> yeah. And especially being in October is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. I'll do it next year, maybe, hopefully, or I'll play next year. Okay. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> I'll try to remind you that. Yeah, I know. I, uh... <laughs> anyway. It is hard. Conventions. Um, it's hard work doing conventions. Just the hustle. And it's their long hours. I know. It's brutal. Um, and then to have to prep all your products and then you don't know what's going to sell necessarily. I know, I know. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, well eventually sell if I, if I have like, um, overflow after the show. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. So right now I have, I'm doing CatCon again, which I did last you doing year. What? what is it? Cat, CatCon. What's CatCon? <laughs> I've never cat heard of it. <laughs> A cat convention. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so at the Pasadena Convention Center. Um, oh wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it was it was good last year. Um it's <laughs> it's not like Monster Pluto or Autobeats <laughs> yeah, number. Right. It's still good and I make a lot of cat stuff. So I'll bring my cat jewelry that's and my cool. drawings and illustrations that I do. Um so that's at the end of this month and then I have a break for a couple months. Um, and then September, Son of Monster Palooza. October is Oddities. November is Designer Con. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And, and then Conjoined, don't forget, in January. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped. I haven't done uh, Designer Con since they moved. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't done it in Anaheim yet. Or has, has it only been one time? It's only been. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do it. And I, I heard it was good, though. It's just such um, a long drive. It was really long because even, even from LA, from downtown LA, it took me 40 minutes in the morning because of all the Disneyland traffic. Right. I know. I know. And yeah, yeah it's just, it makes it, it, for me, it's like it was 15 minutes for me before. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to, I didn't yeah. have to. Find right. a place to stay or anything, so that's like an expense. If mm-hmm. unless you want to drive an hour back at night, but <clears throat> I don't know. I liked the way it was. I kind of like the intimate. The way it was, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just. I I hope they configure it differently. Yeah, I heard year. there was like a lot of space in between booths there's, and stuff. There's way too much space in between the booths, and um, it was pretty spread out. Mm-hmm. Um. So this year, um, one of my best friends, Karen Sean, and I got two 10 by 10s and we're splitting it with some friends. Oh, okay, cool. So it's like, it's half the space, but, um, so yeah, we're going to see like how well it's going to go. Um, did you do well the first year? Um, it was, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be like from what everybody was raving about how sales are amazing. Um, and I don't know if it's because it was a new venue and I don't know how much they advertised in Orange County. Right. Um, because there's a lot of money there. So. I know. I know. It seems like it would be. And it's it's like a holiday shopping time. Right. The perfect time to go holiday shopping and to buy, you know, things that are handmade and mm. that are personal and by artists. So yeah. We'll I, I, but, I was. Yeah, I feel kind of bad because. I really like them. They're really cool people, Ben, and the people who run the thing. So I felt kind of bad not going, but I just, it's, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work doing it in Pasadena. And then, you know, thinking about doing it in Orange County, it's like even it's more work. Days. It's a lot. Yeah. I'm just getting old. <laughs> <laughs> it is exhausting. Oh, oh God. My. It's so, it's, it's, I have to recover for a week after, usually after these conventions. Um, okay. We got through your career now, so let's kind of dive into your your work. You do a lot of, I was going to mention, you do a lot of stuff with hair and feathers and crows and ravens, right? Yeah, it's mixed. I just, at this point, I just say corvids because I Call use you, what do you What do you call them? Corvids. Corvid. Yeah, it's just, it's like the scientific name for that um, species. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh, is that why they, there's a gallery called Corviday Gallery? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I love crows and ravens. They're so cool and super smart. They are. They're they're amazing. Really- mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, um, but it just it suits your work so well because you're you know it's a lot of black in your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of black on black. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm like, what's gonna look great at the end? <laughs> I love it. I love it. It looks great. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, I've painted a f- a couple, a few crows before. Um, yeah, so but but you you do a lot with hair. But what I know that that's kind of a significant thing for you. <clears throat> I was reading an interview with you where you talk about hair being an important subject. It's, it was interesting the stuff you were saying, like how removing it is one means something and having long hair means another thing it's kind of it really is like a big part of our identity in a way 
It is. And animals, you were saying animals, uh, like choose their mates because of the, the hair of another animal. Sometimes you're saying, I, it's, I yeah, thought that's it, what you said. I mean, like if you specifically look at like birds, uh-huh. um, like the reason why male birds are like more extravagant, like peacocks, like it's right. the males that have the plumage and like the, it's like the, the pomp and circumstance of that. Um, I mean, cause, cause we're animals too. Right. So the yeah. way that we look is, is still similar to how animals still find mates and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I, I love crows and ravens is that like, they're very loyal mm-hmm. uh, and they usually, they usually mate for life too. Wow. And, um, Don't wolves, wolves, wolves do that as well. I think. Oh, really? I, th- I thought so. I never heard that crows did that. That's cool. Yeah. And then um, if they, if like a human or another animal or something that's, that lives in the same area, does something either good or bad to yeah. the birds, like they'll tell even generations. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're really smart. Mm-hmm. It's just, and that, like, just that communication. Like I feel like, so for me, usually when I incorporate them in my work, they represent love and loyalty mm. because of that like, companionship. And then the loyalty of, of like watching out for their family members. Right. And, um, so it's always been more, uh, of, a like positive representation for me, even though, in Western culture, it's definitely seen as something like harbingers of death. I know, but that's, 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 <laughs> that's dark art in a nutshell. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. so much of it is positive and it just looks negative, but it's like, mm-hmm. but that's cool about it though. I think that's, what's cool about, that's why crows are cool. That's why black cats are cool. It's because they have this, you know, this baggage that superstitious people put on them, but actually they're really good, mm-hmm. you know, and beautiful. Yeah, because so yeah, that- in, in like Eastern culture, the like those animals have been seen as being like positive, like totems and right. Um, so yeah, it's just it's all just about perception and and like what humans decide to yeah <laughs> put onto them, especially <laughs> those, um with crows and and ravens. They're also scavengers, right. And that's why you see them around carcasses and the deceased and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Which is cool to me. <laughs> I think it's cool. Life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cause you can't, you can't have, and that's like another theme within my work too, is, is that life and death are cyclical mm-hmm. and, and there's, it's symbiotic. Yeah. Um, you can't have you one without the other. Yeah. To exist. Without death, there wouldn't be life and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, uh, I love that. You do you do like uh, do you incorporate that in your in your jewelry? The crows. Um, or? Yeah. The, so I it's mostly been bat skulls because um, bats are great too. I love bats. They are they are and they they have been like in uh like old school Japanese folklore they're seen as being like lucky and oh wow really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Eastern philosophy is the best. I'm telling you. Um, but mostly bat skulls, but I did make this, um, I usually wear it out. It's Hold like, on. 
I'm going to take a picture of that too. That's cool. I love it. Wait one second. Okay. Thank you. That's yeah, great. So that's a crow uh, head that I sculpted. It's got a third eye. Yeah. And, and the design, like most of my like earlier jewelry, the designs are based off of um, the Tuareg tribe, which they're a Berber, like Western, Northern Western African tribe. Mm -hmm. And they're known for their jewelry. Oh, and wow. so um, they're really cool because mostly the women aren't um, covered and the men are. Oh, weird. And they're known for their jewelry and uh, their indigo dye. Oh. And they make incredible jewelry. And I first found out about them um, in high school because I started belly dancing in high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's another thing I read. Uh, I want to get into the the the, the Japanese uh, influence as well, the symbolism you use, but, but yeah, it says you're a uh, middle Eastern dancing is like one of your things. Yeah. I'm, I'm on like a long hiatus right now <laughs> just cause of just focusing on work and yeah, yeah. circumstance and stuff. But, um, yeah, I've been, I started dancing and when I was 15, uh -huh. um, but I, before then, um, my childhood best friend, I mentioned Courtney, we started, um, I think it was like late elementary school. We started taking hip hop jazz classes <laughs> <laughs> and I was really, really outgoing then. And, um, I was like the leader of our group. Wow. What was and it called? Did you have a name for it? So we got to change <laughs> every time we competed and okay. I was such a, I was such an A-type then, like super outgoing before puberty hit. Uh -huh. And I had just watched um, a Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, we're going to be called Demolition Girls. And everyone's like, oh, we want pink ponies or like sparkly stars. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then puberty hit and I'm like, nope, I'm going to be introverted. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Demolition Girls. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so w what's the, uh, you use a lot of like Japanese or Eastern symbology mm -hmm. in your work, like, uh, uh, those masks. Oh yeah. The, no, the Japanese no masks. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather, you know what, just as a little side note, my grandfather was like, uh, in the Navy and mm -hmm. he used to have all these, those Oh, masks like so from cool. japan because he, he would go all over the world and he in my grandparents house they were they're they're made of wood mm -hmm. and they're yeah. they're up on the wall and they were there were a couple of them were so scary looking like i still remember them they're so cool yeah, just, the, just, the devils yeah yeah there was a devil with the horns and there was another weird one that was kind of like an old man that was really creepy yeah those ones are creepy the, so the cool. old wrinkly man and they brought yeah. like like bulbous nose yeah <laughs> and like some of them have whiskers <laughs> yeah yeah super great so how wh why did you start incorporating those into your into your work um just i think i was trying to just process my work in a different way and like finally coming to a point where i wanted to um figure out and, and like mm, reestablish myself with my cultural background mm -hmm. 
Um, because when I was growing up, like my parents would take us to like Japanese festivals and things like that, but there weren't that many. We'd have to go to LA for them. Oh, okay. And then as I grew older, um, I grew up in like Camera was predominantly all white, like right. upper class white. Mm. And then the Japanese families that were here were third, fourth generation. So I had no connection with them at all. Right. Like we didn't even like the same things. So then, and I couldn't relate to them because they're fully American. Whereas at home is Japan for me, but then the outside world is America. Right. When I'd get into fights with my parents, they would use whichever benefited them the most. Be like, you need to be more Japanese here. Like, you need to be more American here. I'm like, what the hell do you want me to be? Like, I have no idea. Um, then on top of that, in um, like junior high school was when I went, I was a baby goth. Uh-huh. And then in high school, I was like full blown goth. But then I was like the one goth kid in honors classes and in student government right. <laughs> that's great so i was like this oddball in school not just in my classes but just culturally and then i just kind of was like i just want to be a goth and like be american and like i didn't i stopped caring about my cultural background and just was just like i'm just trying to figure out who the hell i am and right. like what i do so um and then um, my late partner, uh, James, was like super into Japanese culture and history, and he was a gigantic history buff. And so he started to like reinstate that like love and respect back into myself with my own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then it just like fully came into fruition in like the last like few years. Mm. Um, so it's, just yeah, a, it's like I a way to connect to your, your ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause there's so much amazing folklore. Oh my God. Based off of the mythologies and they have like, isn't there like thousands of spirits and stuff? Like, yeah, yeah. like I, I just want actually my uh, granddaughters, I just, got spirited away f- for them you know that movie oh so cool. i love that the movie's movie so great it's amazing and and i and i'd forgotten it because I'd, I'd watched it you know in the 90s or something or whatever and i watched it with them and it was like this is so weird these spirits are so cool and weird and i remember there was some book someone was showing me that had like all of them categorized all of these spirits and and japanese folklore and it was like I couldn't believe how many they were and the weirdest shit. Yeah. So bizarre. It was amazing. You have a monster. What's that? <laughs> you can have like a toilet monster. Yeah, it was it was so cool. It's amazing. So it's God, what a what a wealth of uh inspiration, you know? Yeah, just um, yeah, I grew up watching Miyazaki's films and mm-hmm. so uh Totoro, my neighbor Totoro is still one of my like all-time favorites. Is that a, is that a, a good one I should um, it is it's, for the kids. Yes, yes, Cause, for cause sure. I, yeah, because I, I uh, one of them's really into um, anime, and so she's just starting to get into it. So I'm like trying to figure out stuff for her oh, to watch. She is uh, going to be nine in October 31st. Her birthday's Halloween. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, that's 
especially because they're young, that's the best way to get them to learn another language too. Like, right. so they watch it and they know what the storyline is. If you play it with just subtitles, oh pick- yeah, because a lot of um, that's a good idea. This is why I've picked up some Korean because one of my <laughs> <laughs> one of my uh, um, guilty pleasures is Korean dramas. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So I've learned some Korean here and there, but, um, cause like when you're watching a TV show or, or a movie, they'll, um, the subject matter is so specific that they'll use the same words over and over again, oh. depending on what you're watching. So then you can pick up, like if you're looking at the subtitles and be like, Oh, that's what that word is. Interesting. And, um, yeah, they can learn Japanese. Yeah. Like well, they learn Spanish. Spanish. They're such sponges. They're, yeah. Well, they're, 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 they're they they fluently speak in Spanish and English. So, what's That's one more? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I usually when when they watch movies, I I put the subtitles on in English so they're hearing it and mm-hmm. they're reading the words just so they can learn how to read better in general too. But that's a great idea um, about you know listening in another language. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I was gonna, okay. Wait a minute. Let's see, this is. Just one more thing about. Oh yeah, no, go for it. Uh, There, most of Miyazaki's films, the the lead characters are girls. Yeah, that's why I wanted to show them specifically that Spirited Away because I remembered it was like a uh, the female was a main character, so that's good. Good for them. Yeah, pretty much most of his films he's made, it's like Princess Mononoke. I feel like it's it's maybe too mature for them because mm-hmm. it's it's about environmentalism and it's a lot more um, violent. Right. Uh, it's beautifully made, um, but Totoro like it's two young girls who move into the countryside with dad because their mom's sick and they see these spirits. Oh wow! Which, and it's just like it's a really heartfelt, like good story. Yeah. That I still love watching, even as an adult. Yeah. Hey, I I was you know I I watched like I said I watched Spirited Away with them and I was like this is just a great movie. It's doesn't you know it's not like you can't enjoy it as an adult. It's just cool, creative, and really interesting and weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Well, cool. I'm gonna yeah. I'm definitely gonna. I wonder if they've seen Totoro. Totoro. I'll have to ask them. I'm gonna ask their mom. Um, I still have their. I still have a bunch of stuffed animals. Yeah, <laughs> I have like a little like keychain thing like hanging from my car with Totoro and like the little um the little Totoros on it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, you're a fan. That's a, okay. So I I just remembered what I wanted to ask you. Um, how did you get into goth culture? How did that happen? Um, Courtney and I started. She got me. I feel like more into the music, but, um, I was exposed to it like musically just, uh, cause of my older brother and mm-hmm. I would, I would rifle through his CDs uh-huh. <laughs> annoyingly. <laughs> um, but then when I was in junior, when we we're in junior high school, that's when the crow, the craft and night before Christmas, they mm-hmm. all came out around the same time. Um, yeah. And, and you're just, like, this is home to me. Yeah. Just felt yeah. a connection with it. Just gravitated towards it. Um, yeah, and the music, I think, yeah, the music was 
the cure and Susie the Banshees and mm-hmm. Bauhaus, like yeah. that was like the entryway. Um, and then, um, at the time the warehouse still existed. So like we'd walk down to the warehouse and just rifle through all uh, the dollar CDs and try uh, to find like gothy, like CD covers and just buy them. And, and like, that's how we found like new music. Too. I was, I was going to say, what do you talk the What's the warehouse? I totally, totally forgot about the warehouse. <laughs> That was a music store. Oh yeah. my god, I can't believe I forgot about that. <laughs> I also had friends um, that were in bands in junior high school, so we'd go see them play. And and because of the area, it was it was mostly like punk rock or death rock. Like mm. when I was at, um, and then you know being friends with with those people and like having them introduce us to like smaller bands that were like more in the death rock scene. And then, um, so Jay, I met James, my late fiance, because his younger brothers were in a like pretty prominent death rock band and mm. they still lived here. <laughs> oh, wow. And Danny used to work, one of his younger brothers used to work at the warehouse and then also at Salzer's, which is, um, another like big music, like independent music store in Ventura. Mm. Um, and that's just like, it just kind of like took off from there. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you you didn't grow out of it, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's it seems like you know um, it wasn't just a phase for you. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you still... my makeup was because I was uh, one of my really good friends. T introduced me to. Um, I had always read comic books here and there because of my brother. Mm. Um, he introduced me to like he was he was reading like X Men and like all the major superhero stuff, but he also was reading. Um, Spawn and the Max, which I totally gravitated towards mm. in like elementary school. <laughs> and then MTV started, they had liquid television and they animated the Max. I'm like, this is amazing. And I loved it. And so I grew up watching liquid television and just seeing like the weird, crazy animations mm. from that. And that was pretty macabre. Yeah. And, and, messed up in some ways you know yeah and i my parents never censored us to what we watched right so i thought my parents were too i could just like watch whatever and like my brother and i would like rent whatever we wanted and um yeah it was just kind of like open game to whatever we wanted to be exposed to uh so yeah just just gravitated towards it it just it was more I think because I've always been attracted to people that were like on the outskirts or the the downtrodden, just because I felt like that too. Yeah, totally. Being, um, Japanese American and not really like knowing that I'm different mm-hmm. than everybody else around me. Um. But then, like, finally being able to, like, embrace that. Right. And then incorporate that into the goth culture you love as well, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's common for, um, I I hear that story over over and over for most artists Mm -hmm. that we, in the dark art scene, is that we, we kind of gravitated towards it because we felt like outsiders and different and weird and, um, because we just didn't see things the same way as most people did. 
Yeah. You know, and so that was like a home for us because it's like, oh, there's other weirdos. Yeah. Like yeah. Us. <laughs> that just reminded me of um, in junior high school when um, Bjork's Army of Me video came out. Mm. And I'm like, this is amazing. And all my friends are like, you're weird. That's <laughs> video. <laughs> what is this girl doing inside a bear and her voice is all weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was something that, you know, we, when we were kids, it was like, we identified with it. There's some, even, even if you're not, it's, it's interesting because even if you're not consciously aware of why you're drawn to it, mm-hmm. you know, in, in hindsight, you could look back and say, you know, I felt like an outsider because I was Japanese and this and that, or I was a weird art kid and I didn't feel like everybody else <clears throat> But you don't go there consciously. It's like you just when you're a kid, you're still kind of pure and yeah. what your tastes are. And you just like what you like. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, I can see why I was attracted to that. And that helps kind of form your personality. Yeah. You know, also because uh, my brother had to babysit me because my parents worked full time. Uh-huh. Uh, he and he's three years older than me, and him and his friends uh, were super into D&D and oh, yeah. rage. And I, I couldn't play. And so I would just look through the books and like all the, cause there's so many illustrations and oh, yeah, the monster man, D and D monster manual yeah, was yeah. great. That's what I, I used to really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like, or like, yeah, definitely early on just because I was exposed to like all those movies and, um, like comic books and gaming stuff. And I, I would like watch my brother play games. Like he played like doom and, all like the first person shooter ones and right. And just seeing, I guess the being acclimated to the, to the, like the ultra violence. Right. That. Yeah. Uh, and the dark imagery and monsters and all that stuff. Yeah. Kind of like normal for us. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My parents were too busy working to like, be like, this is weird. You can't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for me, it was like, my parents were just like, I, I don't know. They were so cool about it. They, they didn't, I get, I, I always felt like they knew I was a good person. So they didn't worry about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I got the, um, I feel like the same with my parents too. I mean, at, at one point, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, my dad really disliked my late fiance. Oh. And I had, cause I had never dated anybody prior and uh, because he's older than me, he's like, at one point <laughs> when I was still with him, he's like, you need more life experience. You need to go like sleep around and like do lots of drugs. And <laughs> wow. I, I still have never done a lot of drugs. Wow. I, I've been around everything, but right. um, I just drink, which, you know, is a drug. Right. Um, never even smoked a cigarette. Wow. So I'm just like, I'm just not interested because yeah. I. I like growing up because growing up in Southern California, like everything was accessible here, especially weed and oh acid. Oh my god! Oh yeah, and yeah. Were high all the time yeah. in junior high school. I, re- I remember when, when I was in seventh grade. So many kids I knew were just like total stoners. I was so anti-drug. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, up until I graduated high school, I was like because it was it was the cool thing to do. And I was so not like, I was so into like nonconformity <laughs> that I was like, I don't even want to conform to the stoners. <laughs> but it, it was 
Courtney and I got a really great thing out of it because because Courtney was totally straight edge then and uh-huh. we'd have sleepovers and our friends would be fucked up as shit and pass out. So we would take blackmail photos. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then at one, and then um, I think it was senior year. We made a, a tabloid magazine of us and like all our friends, and we spent like days at Kinkos and like writing up all these like little write ups of like captions for the photos that we had taken <laughs> of our oh, friends. And it was called the bench because that's like where we all sat. Like in high school, was the bench. Uh-huh. So, like this like conglomeration of like weirdos and like goth and punk kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's like a tabloid journalism. Yeah. <laughs> or one stint at it. <laughs> oh my God. With friends like that, <laughs> who needs enemies? Yeah. I, think I have some copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I was always like, like I didn't get interested in drugs until after high school and I was into like, got interested in the psychedelic thing because of the spiritual aspect of it and the mind expanding aspect of it. But the, I was never into partying when I was a kid. I was, I always thought like, I always saw my stoner friends and thought just like they were stupid Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. I was, it was like, and plus, you know, my brother was a big stoner and everyone was like, Oh, you're going to be a big stoner when you grow up. So I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be my own person. (laughs) <laughs> and then once I got yeah, through, I live, I live vicariously through my friends. Yeah. I just um doing everything and and like wreaking havoc, and I was like, "That's cool." Right. <laughs> and also, um, my parents never—they weren't like, "You can't drink." Like, wow. If, if I was, if we were home and like I had friends over, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like all the time, but it's like, oh, if you wanted a beer, it's like you're gonna drink it anyway, so you might as well be here. Right watch you wow, so not well, regulate it so i never had that like woo 21 gotta get shit right. you know because it was it was something that was always there and so i um and like during holidays like new year's especially um usually like bring in the new year with like a glass of like a s- small thing of sake and like uh, i was the taste all right because alcohol didn't it wasn't something wasn't that, taboo yeah, it didn't, it didn't taste good to me as a kid, so I was just like, eh, whatever. Right. You know, wasn't a big deal because they didn't they didn't make it a big deal. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. They they your parents. I mean, I should. I I would gather that just from um, meeting them and seeing them at your shows and their cool little dog. I would I imagine they are they seem pretty liberal, as you know. And They're- then you and then you tell me tell me this stuff about you know not being letting you watch stuff and. Letting you have a beer once in a while. It seemed like they were pretty laid back. Yeah, um, there's definitely stuff that's conservative about them mm. because there's still aspects of because they they've been here for like 40 plus years. So there's been things that like I don't agree with because they sound like they're from Japan 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is like which is pretty conservative. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, so, but they're you know they're always like willing to listen to me when I want to be like, Hey, actually, if you think about it this way, like your way of thinking isn't so great. (laughs) It's really close minded. (laughs) But the fact that they're willing to listen to me. Yeah, exactly. That's what counts. You know, I just have to pick my battles. Right. 
my parents and they trigger me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like they know like where to poke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to argue. <laughs> <laughs> they know where to, they know the buttons. Yeah. But yeah, they've never, um, even with the artwork that I make, they've never, they've never been like, Oh, why, you know, why are you doing nude self portraiture? Like, the, the question for my mom was when I started doing fully doing nude self portrait like life-size nude portraiture. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's question was, because I did one that was like pretty, um, it looks like a lot darker. And I'm like bent over in this like crouched goblin-y form. Mm-hmm. My, my mom first thought, she's like, so do you take your own pictures for reference? I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, so like you're like down there like this. <laughs> Couched over and you take a picture and like yeah I do she's like oh, okay like her criticism wasn't right like, are you you know showing yourself like right. they've never, they've never once questioned um what I do like I even um when my best friend Karen Shaw was still shooting a lot of fetish photography um I've modeled for her uh, like a handful of times mm-hmm. and like I'll show my mom the pictures she'd be like. Oh, that's pretty. Or like, <laughs> or she'll be like, "Oh, that's weird." And and then like we have like a mini conversation about sadomasochism, uh-huh. <laughs> and she's just like, "Oh, oh, that's you know." She'll be like, "Oh, that's kind of weird," but that's, like she's never, she's never like, "You shouldn't." Right, do that. disapproving. Yeah. That's great. That's great. That's amazing. I mean, more people need to be like that. Just be open to understanding mm-hmm. things. You know, open to hearing ideas that they don't understand. I mean, that's great. That's important. I, I, you know, I, I've said this on the podcast before, also, but um, uh, my dad, my stepdad, moved in with us. Let me see. Probably I was seven or eight, and once he moved in, there was just nudes, 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 all in the house. Like he painted a lot of nudes mm-hmm. and had a lot of reference photos in his studio, and and so it was never weird to me. That's you know, it, yeah, it was like, I, it's still not weird to me when I see pictures. It just, it doesn't seem like, ooh, or anything, but you know, my friends would come over and they'd all be giggling and, you know, and, and I was just be like, well, what, <laughs> you know, it's like, it just seemed so unimportant or not weird. You know what I mean? Everybody has a nude body. Yeah, exactly. It's silly. Yeah. It's the culture, such, you there's know. Such a stigma and and like puritanical view on it. That's yeah. so healthy. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally unhealthy. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just. Uh, it's you know this country is sexually repressed for sure. This oh, culture yeah. is. Um. It's very unhealthy. I mean, yeah. just even just even sex education. I know. Uh, like I was, um, I have a few friends who have kids and I love Ali Wong. Like mm. her standup is fucking hilarious. And in both standups, she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so the second one, she talks about, uh, like going through the first pregnancy and like what, as a woman you have to deal with when you're giving birth and like the process after that and like how like why it's so important to for women to be able to have uh 
leave after giving birth because even after you give birth, like she explains that it's like the whole house comes out. Ah. <laughs> like baby's whole house comes out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still like leaking shit. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Fact, and how she's like talking about like being at work, like standing in front of like a, a chalkboard or whatever. And she's like feeling all the stuff. But she's like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> funny. I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> She's very explicit and like raunchy, uh, but um she's very like honest about everything. Right. And I and for me, I personally appreciate her because I'm equally talk like a pirate. Uh-huh. With the dirty mouth and swear a lot. Yeah, and, my wife's the same way. <laughs> <laughs> and um but then she's also like, hey, like both her and her husband are both Asian Americans, but um, they're uh, two different types of Asian. Her husband's Japanese and I think Philip Vietnamese, and then she's Chinese mm. Filipino. I forget. Um, but like as as Asian Americans, like I can relate to their experience, and it's nice to be able to have people my age to be like, Oh shit. Like they went through the same thing. Right. Um, yeah. You're like, starting to see more, more, uh, uh, Asian culture and films and stuff and stand up. And it's, it's, it's becoming more mainstream. I think than it's ever been, which yeah. is, which is good. It is. You know? <laughs> it's really- <laughs> um, is that you're snoring? What's that? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> my dog's snoring. <laughs> That's not me. I haven't fallen asleep on you. <laughs> Um, uh, okay. Uh, I, I always do this. I'm sorry. It's the listeners won't be surprised <laughs> that I forget what I'm going to ask. Cause I do it all the time. Um, I was going to, Oh, I was going to ask you, uh, uh, you know, one thing about, I mean, obvious you're into the dark art scene, right? I mean, you like yeah. this stuff, right? Exactly. Obviously. <laughs> but the thing, but the thing is though, I ask that because like I said, your work, it is dark, but it also can exist in, in a, in a, in a non dark setting. I think that's, what's really unique about it. You know, you're like, like we said before, you're kind of like, you know, you, straddling that line um but what do you think about the the lack of females in the dark art scene because there's it it seems like there there's more women doing dark art now than ever before Mm -hmm. for sure but um it it's kind of male dominated it is you know and and you know i don't know just i kind of was curious to hear a, a, a woman's perspective cuz you're you're like a minority in a minority already cuz you know women in dark art are a mi- dark art is a minority thing and then women in dark art minority what's that <laughs> i'm like tripled yeah, minority exactly <laughs> triple whammy Cause when I, yeah cuz when i'm when i've talked about my work and my experience, I, I do refer to myself as like doubly othered. Right. Because being a person of color and also being female, I'm like, yeah, I'm at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get much and lower. On top of it, like the work I do isn't like, it is, it's not accessible to everybody. Right. And especially. A, don't you think our work though is more geared towards those people? It's for us. 
it's for yeah. people who are, you know, uh, more on the fringes or people that aren't like in the mainstream. It's more for people who have been downtrodden. I think the yeah. dark art is definitely sure. more geared towards, towards that. But mm -hmm. I, what, what's your perspective of it? I mean, what do you, how do you feel about it? Um, I think, I feel like more people, like people like me do exist. Um, but it's just a matter of, of exposure and, and, um, being open to being accessible to it. Because mm -hmm. um, thinking back about, um, like the arguments I would have in grad school, um, I understand that as different genders, it's, it can be difficult to, um, try to understand like what I'm drawing or whatnot, especially cause I was doing nude female, like self portraiture. Mm. Um, but I, but I was having a, uh, I was trying to have a conversation with, with famous art historical pieces and the predominantly white men in my group were just having a circle jerk and they would, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even put an effort into trying to understand what I was making. They just be like, Oh, it's just exotic. And it's, it's fetishized. Really? It's a nude female that's Asian. Wow. But then, then when another art, like another male artist drew or painted something, um, pretty similar, they'd have fucking like full on conversations oh, wow. about, all this conceptual blah, 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 theory, bullshit. Like it was like this the whole time. <laughs> and the three other, three or four other women that were in my group in our crit who also happened to be making work about the female body. They just like just shut down, no effort. Wow. Um, and I kind of feel like that with like even this scene. Mm. Um, so, but I do like what we're talking, like circling back to the beginning of our conversation, like how things are changing and, mm. and people are becoming more aware and open-minded of, of different perspectives, I think is really important. I feel like this like newer generation of kids is they're like pushing through those barriers mm. and, and becoming more open-minded. Um, but yeah, like it's, there's still this, I don't know, maybe, maybe because, um, the male voices are louder within the scene mm -hmm. that, um, like for instance, um, cause I don't, I don't post that much on Facebook, like personal stuff. And I, I sometimes like scroll through the dark art, um, member page mm. but i was like i remember hearing somebody or seeing somebody be like oh there aren't that many women on i think i think it was on the the page so mm. then when oddities came up i was like oh i will promote my friends and i who have been on your podcast ave and liz and like i posted our work up like all three of our work and be like hey this thing's happening like dark art thing and then, like, it's predominantly women who like like the post. Oh wow! So I was like, interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting because 
I, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't have the perspective. I, I you know, I try and be aware of, uh, stop. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. Uh, you know, I try and, ha- I, I try and be, you know, I'm sympathetic to the, the, um, to women's causes, you know, it's, it's important to me. I was raised by my mom and, you know, she was, that was just the, the, the way we were raised. And I've always kind of felt that way, but you know, I, I am a dude, so I don't get, I don't feel it like you, you, yeah. you would. And cause there's a lot of, um, but I see it. <laughs> yeah. It's been so many microaggressions that like, as a, as a man, like even if we're in the same room and having a conversation with the same people, there's things that happen that you wouldn't particularly notice unless you're being hyper aware of the situation. Right. Like I always look to see if I'm in a group conversation and there's a, and it's mixed genders mm-hmm. to see if the man's only talking to the, like, like looking at the other guy and not right. the rest of the, like, just even like, that's a microaggression. Right. Like, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice unless you're co- consistently right, being most- like minorly sidelined like that. And right. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 you know, the whole thing is made up of a lot of, a lot of little things like that, mm-hmm. you know, not, and, and, then, you know, but then equally women are, are guilty of doing those things too, just because societally, um, it has been a very misogynistic, like sexist society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, predominantly like throughout the world, it's just historically been like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I catch myself doing things too. I'm like, Oh shit. Like I need to, I need to not do those. Like it just even, I'm better about, um, not, doing it like actionably, but just thoughts that come through my head that I'm being sexist there. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's so embedded in the, in the culture of human beings really, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's, and it's so dumb. It's so stupid because it's, when you look at it, the, the, it's, it's all about, I think it comes down to, the physicality of men being taller generally mm-hmm. and physically stronger. And that's why there's this domination. It's yeah. because it comes from, you know, being monkeys and, and, and cavemen and the, the stronger person dominates yeah. the one that's not as physically strong. And it's like, it's turned into what it's turned into. And it's, it's so stupid. It is. It's so stupid. It's the same with like racism. It's so to judge, you know, to judge someone on how they look is so fucking dumb. I I can't even believe. Sometimes I'm just like, this is just idiotic. I can't even believe it. I can't believe that people think this way. Yeah, because it's just it's based off of ignorance, and then the the power struggle is just based off of like needing control. And you need con- when people yeah. need control, it's because they're insecure with themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, I think. It's uh, we're the, the dominator culture. I heard. I, I think I heard Terrence McKenna talking about dominator culture, okay. where it's all about the culture is about dominating others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's just Western so, civilization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it did happen in the East too with like Genghis Khan and you know all the, right. And even in the East, it's like the Empire. Right. Yeah. Even in Eastern culture, it is still male dominated. 
you know, it's the way of the world. So it's that's that's one reason why I would not want to live in Japan. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. friends, especially when I was looking, like really, really struggling and looking for work constantly. And some friends were like, "Why don't you move to Japan? You speak the language." I'm like, eh, "I don't speak it that well. Like mm. conversationally, I can and." I can't, I can read hiragana and katakana, but my kanji, I think I know like this much. Mm. <laughs> um, but it is, it is still really sexist and very ageist. Um, right. Like if for some reason my parents moved back and they needed to work, they'd be shunned and like they couldn't, they couldn't find a job because, wow. you know, they're old or they're elderly. So. Right. Um, wow. Yeah, like when I when I was in grad school, one of my uh, friends, uh, she's Japanese, and she had worked at just like a regular um, company, and she was higher up. But like in Japanese business culture, everybody goes drinking afterwards, mm-hmm. and so she um, she still had to pour the beer for her male coworkers, even though she was higher up. Oh my god, that's so demeaning. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel I that's probably changed now because it is becoming more westernized as right. time on. But um yeah, there's there's a lot of things that are still instilled within the country that I mean, we still have it as as much as things are messed up here, um we still have it really well here. Yeah, yeah, comparatively compared to other some parts of the world, I mean, it's downright scary, but, um, you know, I'd hate to be a woman in a, in the middle East or something, you know? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, but that's the, you know, that's, that's, that's it. That's the cause, you know, the, the way, the, the way it seems to me is that the feminist cause is the world cause it's the main cause that i think it symbolizes every problem in the world really because the way it's it's all about this dominator culture the way we treat the environment is is dominate dominate domination not working with the environment not respecting the environment that's why i think you know it's so important it's at the heart of every fucked up thing that goes on pretty much mm-hmm. you know yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's and it's and it's so stupid. <laughs> it's just like so simple and so stupid. It's like the most simplest I know. to it, but nope. Nope, egos, egos <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Insecurities. I mean, I've all I'll, I've always kind of like um thought about things like in terms of masculine and feminine energies. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it it just seemed it just obviously male energy dominates the world, and it needs to be, um, you know, obviously. I mean, it goes without saying, but it needs to be balanced. It needs mm-hmm. to be balanced out, and um, I don't know. It's it's I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's like I've always thought of like as the soul as being a feminine thing, energy thing, and the physical body being a masculine thing. Hmm. Just like, because it's physical. Yeah. Symbolically. <clears throat> and so it's like the soul 
should be the guide for the body mm-hmm. and not the other way around. And that's why you're seeing um, people going insane <laughs> because so many people with mental health issues, because we are, our ego, we're dominating our own spirits, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, oh, you yeah. know, physically by, by, by we're dominated by our own physicality over mm-hmm. the, the important part of us, which is the deep part of us, the soul part of us, the, the female part of us. Yeah. So, so it's like, while, while there's this big imbalance in the world, it's, it's in, it's within every person. And so I think that um, as much as activism and stuff is great, I think every person, the best thing you can do for the world before you do anything is to try and balance those energies within yourself. So your, your, your heart, your soul is guiding your physical, physicalness. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I have, yeah, I've never thought about that way, but I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good. like the it's like the analogy of um, when you're in the airplane, like you have to put the mask on first before you help anybody else. Like right, um, and there there is such a disconnect with people, and it comes down to having empathy and sympathy right. for people. Right, which is like a feminine. It's a which is a feminine energy. I think love and um, empathy. Yeah. To me, it's like that falls in like the, the it's the the heart, it's the soul, it's the feminine, mm-hmm. you know. And the and the ma- masculine energy is great as well. It's like how you fucking bash things that are in your way, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you need the car to drive around, and you need the driver for the car. Right. But you the need car, <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's like the car isn't gonna drive itself around well. It's like you need. I don't know. It's hard to explain. No, I get it. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Hopefully everybody else understands what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully that stuff's changing too because I was just having this discussion with somebody on online um, about like the lack of of empathy. And mm. I think part of it is that every, every generation like before ours, like our parents um, and, and as I, like as a, as my generation, we're influenced by them. That there, people aren't given tools on how to express what they're feeling. Right. It's either repress it yeah. or don't talk about it, leave it bottled in, and just being angry motherfucker. Right. Wreak havoc. Yeah. Because you can't process your emotions, so then you lash out at everybody else. Right. And, like that's. <laughs> That's so unhealthy. Oh yeah, that's another. That's another big part of um, the problems we have is not, um, not being not a, especially for, as as men as well. And I know it, it's true for women as well. But I know that, that one of the big issues for men is, um, not not being able to express tender emotions yeah. or whatever. Not allowing yourself to feel for other people and not allow yourself to cry and things like that. It's like looked yeah. down upon in the culture, you know? It's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> but 
you know, I do think it's going in a positive direction. I really do. It's like, it's, it's because we're being, things are so fucked up that we're being forced to be like, okay, we're all going to die or we're all going to get our shit together because, you know, we're pushed to the, to the brink now, seriously, when it comes down to like the environment, you know, it's like, we're all going to fucking die. Everything in this planet's going to die if we don't deal with this. And, and, you know, that's how people are. People usually don't change unless they're pushed to the brink. Yeah, or unless or unless they personally have to deal with right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it's it, it is it is a lot to process. So then, you, if if you do want to be actively helping, you can only process so much of it. Right. It's, it's like, what do you what do you choose to do? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Yourself to be a better human being, um, or be politically active, or right, or whatever you know billions of other causes there are <laughs> i know i know I, I but that's that's kind of why i feel like you know first and foremost you have to have your own shit together mm-hmm. to be an effect to be effectively um advocating for change and stuff yeah. because yeah. if because otherwise if you're if you're ego driven if you don't have your you know your if you're not in touch with your feminine side your your spirit or your heart or whatever you want to call it and you but you but you still have that in in you to where you want to um, help change things. If you're you're not going to do it as effectively as if you kind of were were balanced and it out, shows. right? Yeah, because people that's ego driven. Yeah, because I mean, you see, I, you see, you see stuff on um, on the left as well. People that are totally ego driven, you know, for for a cause I believe in. But the the, the approach they're taking is like. That's not cool, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's start, you know, start with ourselves. And I really feel like, and that's why I kind of think this whole psychedelic mushroom thing is really great. And psychedelics being uh, researched and used to help PTSD and all these things, because that's, you know, psychedelics are a medicine in traditional cultures. And, and that's ultimately what they do is they balance, kind of balance your, your energies out. And yeah, so and it's, it's, and it's also not like where it's like, here, take this and go in the forest. You actually have um like doctors and therapists like right. there you like through the whole process and like guiding you yeah, through yeah. like talking to you afterwards. And yeah. um so it's it's in like a completely controlled environment, which which I think is great. Yeah, um, well yeah. So people need that to yeah. just to have that extra push to unlock whatever is stuck in their mind or their heart and soul and to, be able to like let that on be like, Holy shit. Like if that's a way for people to get better. Right. I'm totally for it. Yeah. And we're, and we're at, like, I, like I said, we're at that point where we have to start taking drastic measures because you know, time's running out. So anyway, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> Ultimately <laughs> I'm, I'm an optimist. So I am too. <laughs> I, I sometimes is like, mm, did, did me having too much hope kick me in the ass? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. I know sometimes. But but the, what's the alternative, though? The alternative is just to... what's a miserable fuck. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be a miserable fuck. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be delusional and happy than yeah. be a miserable fuck. But I really do believe, I mean, I, I can see it. I, I, can, I feel like I have a good, like a good long range view of things. And it just seems like... You know, so much bad is happening and so much good is happening. It's just kind of like coming to this head where it's going to go one way or the other. And, you know, I've got like, 
I've got a, I, I believe I'm like a pantheist where I believe God, everything is God. We're all God and everything is God. And no matter what happens, everything is still God and there's nothing to worry about ultimately. And it's all of this is kind of like a big play, you know, and we've all, we're all pretending that we're these characters and we've forgotten who are, we really are. And so even if it all goes away, it's okay too. <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> you can't die. Nothing dies. Everything's good. But I, I just, I still, I still think that, you know, I look at life like as this amazing novel or amazing movie. And it's like, what would be the best ending to this movie? The best ending would be, we get right to the brink and then that's the best ending of every movie. Most right. for the most part, you get to the edge, it looks hopeless. And, and it, and, and it change you, you, you defeat the monster at the end, you know, that's the best ending. Yeah. So, so that's what I think our ending is going to be. We're going to, we're going to evolve to this next level. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Well, on, on that crazy notion, we're at like two hours here. So I, I'm oh, sorry. Crazy. Sorry for keeping you so long. Um, no, no, it's okay. This was great. Yeah. I'm shocking to you. What's that? Oh, yeah. Shocking to you. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, it was, it was super fun. Um, let's get your, I, I'm going to put your promotional stuff in the, in the, in the um, text as well. But what's your, your website and, and your Patreon. Uh, my Patreon is, um, I think it's just my name. It's Stephanie Inagaki. But because I show, I do new drawings. It's for the whole like not safe for work stuff. Oh right. It's not listed. Um, but it is on my um, Instagram. Um, okay. And, like what's your Instagram? Uh, my Instagram Stephanie Inagaki. Okay. And um, here's my cat, Bebop. Oh, okay. I got to do one more. Hold him up. It's going to be all kinds of extra pictures of you. Oh, hold him up. Wait one second. Wait, hold on, Beep. <laughs> okay, I got it ready. Whenever you get him in a good position, or she, she. Yeah, yeah. All my okay. all my are are females, but everybody thinks they're boys because <laughs> I have like non gendered names. <laughs> She is so pretty. Oh my god, that was good. That's perfect. Don't move. Wait, I gotta do it. I gotta. I gotta do it real quick. Oh, that is so cute. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, my kitties are cowboy and bebop. <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's beautiful. I love black cats. Um. Yeah. So yeah, all the info will be listed below. But I encourage everybody to su support Stephanie's Patreon specifically mm -hmm. because she's got. Really interesting stuff. Her artwork is worth supporting. It's really amazing. We need to be supporting each other. And, you know, I really think that, you know, especially what you're doing is so important to the movement. Because, like I said, you do have that. It's like you're almost like a, like a, it helps, you're helping to create this gateway to the higher art world, which is really good for us. You know what I mean? So it's, slobs like me can, can slip in behind you <laughs> so i i encourage everyone to to support uh stephanie's patreon and buy her stuff and and we should be supporting every artist's patreon because patreon is is the future and it's a way for us to all you know earn earn a decent living and not have to struggle as much i'm just so into patreon I mean, I, I haven't even pushed it that hard. I'm going to really start a promotional push because it's so nice to not be 
inundated with a bunch of bullshit, like on Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing, and also it's like, you're not getting adver- ads on there. It's, yeah. it's the artwork. It's just, it's just the work. It's the work and it's the people commenting that you can talk to and that's it. And it's like, you have a direct contact with the artist and the artist has direct contact with the patron and it's really amazing. So anyway, support her Patreon. And, uh, yeah. And you can support the dark art society Patreon by going to patreon.com slash dark art society and join for as little as a dollar a day. And you get the podcast a day and sometimes two days early. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you so much for coming on. It was great. Having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And, um, thank you everybody for listening and appreciate Yes, we appreciate you and everything you're doing. You're, we, we are all together making this, turning this movement into something. It's pretty exciting. It's like, yeah. the, it's like the early days of punk rock, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels to me. It's like I'm finally at the beginning of something instead of I've always been like a late person that came along. Yeah. Even to punk. Talk about the goth scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like this is this is the beginning of something big, so it's it's really exciting times. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Stephanie, for coming on. So Thank you for me. goodbye everybody. Say Bye. goodbye. Bye. <laughs>